time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome to the Thriveology Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the art and science of thriving in your daily life. Now, let me just say, this is not about how do you make your life easy. In fact, today we're going to go exactly after that, where it's not about easy or feeling good, but we want to talk about a code of thriving. In fact, that's what we've been talking about for the past few weeks, the Thrive Code. If you remember, we started off right at the first of the year by talking about challenge. Challenge is my word for this year about how we go about challenging ourselves and taking on the challenges, kind of having an orientation that life is going to be challenging and that we need to create our own challenges. I find those two frames very useful for me. Uh, When I don't have a challenge of some sort, especially one that I particularly like, like the ones I choose, then I find myself getting a little stagnant. And then there is the fact that life is just going to challenge us, that the nature of life is in challenge. And so we've got to figure out how to orient towards dealing with that, just to accept it. Instead of assuming that life is supposed to be easy street and, and super smooth, let's assume quite the opposite, that the world around us, I mean, the world is proving it every day and we can fuss about how tough it is, but the fact is that's the nature of it. Well, that's the challenge piece. How do you take on the challenges? How do you even find those deep challenges, the ones that make a difference for you? Then I came back the next week and talked about control. So if we're going to take on challenges, we also need to think about what we actually have control in our lives because just observationally, clients that I've had over the years and my own self and the people I witness in my own life, we try to control the things we cannot control while we tend to miss what we can control. And there are only three things we can control. So we only have three levers in our life. We can control our aspirations, our attitude, and our actions. That's it. Notice I didn't say you could control your friends, your spouses, your kids, your parents, your anyone else's actions or aspirations or attitude, but you have those choices in yourself. So we use those pieces to recognize again what we can deal with and then to assume that that is where we're going to spend our focus on what we can control. Then last time we talked about community and the importance of having community, of having connection with people around us and how important connection is in building our thriving life. To think about that uh, connection as a place of community, and I include community as a place, for instance, my wife and I have connection, we have intimacy, and intimacy to me is community between two people that can be very uh, close, and then you have a wider circle of people in your community. And to think about the importance of that, especially in these days, right? We spent, now we're going into our third year of dealing with this pandemic. And one of the things it has done is it's pulled us away from community, whether it's kids being away from school or uh, people being away from um, different places where they've they've liked in the past, whether it's being in the office or a religious uh, place for them to, to celebrate their beliefs or clubs or gyms or wherever it is. And I can see it in my own life about places where I've had to go up, oh, you know, it's not safe for me to be there. And what it's pointed out, the trauma of these two years now going into our third year, the, dr- the trauma of not being with people. 
is showing up in many different ways. And so the fact that we thrive is when we are intentional about the community around us and how they bring us uh, a lot more of that connection. Which brings us to this week. And the part of the code this week is contribution. Now, let me tell you, <laughs> I'm not about to ask for, for donations. This is not the contribution to the Lee Bauckham world. This is contribution like, what do you give to the world? How do you contribute to the world? These days between uh, politics and uh, different uh, places of, uh, of religion, you can feel like everybody's saying you need to contribute directly, right, financially. And for many people, there is a place for contribution. Maybe it's somewhere you do support or a nonprofit that you do support, but that's only one level of contribution. And every year when I hear these contribution drives that are going on about how people you need to contribute, one of the things I'm aware of is contribution comes in many different forms. Money is one way. It's just our way of transferring energy in, in our economy, in our world. So I put forward some energy into something and somebody gives me some money to represent a storage of that energy. And so I can take that energy and put it somewhere else. So that does fit. But sometimes that limits us a good bit. So I want us to think about contribution as an overall place. As an overall, how do I, how do I put my stance in the world? And, and what I've noticed that there are often two two formations of how we interact with the world, being a giver or a taker. Now, this is not me saying there are givers and takers in the world as much as me saying there are times when we give and sometimes when we take. And what we're talking about today is the giving, the contribution. And I think it's important for us to kind of notice the places where we, we ask the question, instead of what am I getting out of life, we're asking, what am I putting into life? What, I, what am I giving back to life? In fact, if we want to frame this whole conversation, it is that exact shift from going from what am I getting out of life to what am I putting into life? What am I giving back to life? And, and even more clearly, I think sometimes it's hard because to say, what am I giving back? You have to feel like you have maybe gotten your fair share, and sometimes people don't. So the, the central question of what am I putting into life is probably the best way of, of framing that. So let's just for a moment step back and ask the question, why isn't it? Why, what am I getting out of life? Well, first of all, let me tell you, in my work with couples, one of the things I've noticed is that very shift often changes the very foundation of a marriage. Many times people have come to my office and I've realized that what they both are asking is, what am I getting out of this? And we as humans tend to overestimate what we're putting in and underestimate what we're getting out of close relationships anyway. When I ask a couple to kind of tell me what percentage of you know, daily life, of, of home life are each of you putting in, you add it up, and this has been done in experiment after experiment, it adds up to more than 100%. And I know that there are people who say, I give 110% to life. Well, get, there's only 100%. I mean, just to be honest, there's only 100% of anything. And so 
if you're looking at, a, at what happens at home and, and you calculate what people are putting in and they both think that they're putting in more than 50% and it adds up to more than 100%, somebody is not clear about what they're contributing. And the danger of this is when people get focused on what am I putting, what am I getting out of life versus what I'm putting in, they come up at, at a detriment. They come up as, as it, it, like it's owed to them, like my spouse owes me more. Well, that very stance is the same one I see over and over in the world. And it's based in a difference in happiness. Sometimes we begin to equate that happiness is, you know, this place where we thrive. So when I talk to people and I talk about thriveology, the science and art of thriving, they say, oh, you're about that happiness study stuff. And my response is, I'm actually not at all about that happiness stuff. Am I glad that people are happy? Yes, I am fully supportive of people being happy. I get a little concerned with what I often hear in the happiness world, where that's like the sole pursuit of life. Happiness. And so we're going to just borrow for a moment from our ancient Greek philosophy world that said that there are different forms of this happiness. Just to break it down for a minute, they talked about hedonism, hedonia. Hedonism was the philosophy of getting happiness, that w- every, get everything you can. Do whatever makes you feel good was basically hedonism. Do what makes you feel good. Now, I want you to notice that do what makes you feel good external is what that's about. So if having fine wine and lots of good food and whatever else you were doing uh, made you feel good, do more of that. Now, one of the things we do need to recognize is in ancient Greece, there were far more ways, uh, far fewer ways of getting that happiness dose. There are far more ways these days that are far more destructive to us. But let's just hold that out there because you notice something about hedonism. It's about happiness out there. Something out there is going to make me happy, so i got to keep doing it. i got to have me more wine or more good food or more fun with whomever. And all of those pieces are what is going to finally bring me happiness. The problem is that begins to be a constant pursuit. And it begins to be an addictive pursuit. And the problem is we're not really built for always being happy. In fact, one of the things that happens when our body experiences a big boost of happiness is it then drops off after that. It's a little little exercise in the brain where it taps down to get us back to our homeostasis, but tends to overshoot that. So if you did something and you felt really, really good from it for a moment, you might feel a little worse overall soon after. That's the hedonistic approach. That's the problem with addictions, right? So when I drink my caffeine in the morning, it peps me up, but on the back side of it, as the caffeine wears off, I actually dip down a, a bit deeper. So what do I do? Well, let's chase that with a little more coffee and we'll get back on order. And that's what we do with so many other things, whether it's sugar or nicotine or some other substance or some other process like gambling or whatever it is. So we're chasing that external piece. And our brain gets stuck on finding the external answer 
to what will make me happy. Eudaimonia is the other piece. So hedonia, chasing the external happiness piece, chasing something that's going to make me happy. Hedonia is about finding that from a life satisfaction, from personal fulfillment. It's internal. How can I do things that give me a sense of personal fulfillment internally? It's no chemical shift in our brain from that. Well, there is, but it's a far different one than getting those chemicals to make us feel good in life. It comes from a deeper place. And many times eudaimonia, happiness from that personal fulfillment, that personal fulfillment comes from giving, not getting. That's where we get to contribution. If we focus on contribution, we often find ourselves at a happy state, at a satisfied state, at a meaningful state. But that's not what we're chasing. It's the side effect. In hedonia, you're looking for the effect of happiness. In eudaimonia, happiness might be a side effect. It's just not what we're chasing. And therefore, it's much more sustainable. So if we ask the question, what am I getting out of life? It's a hedonic question. A eudaimonic question is, what am I putting in? What am I giving back if you want to? But at least what am I putting in to life? What am I putting into the world around me? As David Brooks talks about, it's our eulogy resume. What are we doing that matters in the world? What are we doing that makes a difference in the world? So that brings us to that contributing and thriving place. It's about meaning and purpose, about gratitude and appreciation, and it's also about our own internal choice and control. So let's break that down a little bit. There's been a lot of research on what happens when people volunteer. And what we know is that when people do volunteer work, even if it's because they were assigned to do it, you know, they're part of a, a study, they were assigned to do it, volunteer work, doing volunteer things that make a difference and make it meaningful, tend to have a much longer lasting positive impact on our, uh, our own emotional state than getting something. So the test will show that people, when they go give by volunteering somewhere, they have a longer sense of happiness than when they're given something. They give when, when they are given something. So when they get something, often there is a short-term boost in how they're feeling. Their mood goes up, but then it comes back down. And for lots of reasons, we're still trying to figure out and tease apart. When we're giving instead of getting that happiness layer lasts a lot longer. But more than that, it ties into our sense of meaning and purpose. Sigmund Fourier talked about the fact that we are always working to get away from uh, what makes us feel bad and find what makes us feel good. It's the pleasure principle. And he said that's what motivates us. Viktor Frankl, who survived World War II in a concentration camp, said that the real piece was meaning, that what we're really looking for in life 
is a sense of meaning. And, and really, when you read his work, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, which was titled long ago before we thought about inclusion. But he talked about the fact that we, we do these things that are meaningful, but it's purposeful too. So when he talked about meaningful actions that people did in the concentration camp, they really were uh, things about having a sense of purpose, taking care of someone, getting somebody some food, keeping them warm. That's a sense of purpose that gave them meaning. See those two kind of loop back and forth. So they could find meaning in their suffering. So just looking at a situation going, okay, how is this meaningful to me? What does this mean? What is this about? Finding the meaning of something, but also finding meaning in their purpose of how they decide to interact in the world. Viktor Frankl noticed that the people who took on that sense of meaning and purpose were the ones who were the survivors of this adverse situation because they were able to have a deeper sense of what that's about, to endure bad things. That's part of contribution. Contribution gives us a sense of meaning and purpose, but it also comes from a place of gratitude and appreciation. In fact, creates gratitude and appreciation. It broadens our view of who we are and and what we have and why we have a place of being grateful for where we are, whatever that is. Deeper than that, we have an internal control. Remember we talked about control a couple of sessions back. We get to choose. Control is, this is where we get to control things. We don't always get to control whether, you know, we find those external things that make us happy. But if we're choosing to do things that are meaningful, that are satisfying, that are contributing, it naturally ties into our own internal sense of control. We're choosing those places. So how do you do your own contribution? Well, let's be clear. The world is a pretty tough place right now with lots of hurting places, lots of needy places, lots of places where you can dig in. And so I would just suggest that there may be four different little uh, processes you might put into place. Number one is to ask the question, does this help me leave the world a better place? That was one of the things I grew up with is, you know, when we would go out on a hike or something, we had to leave the area better than we found it. When we went camping, pack out all the trash. So, you know, kind of the Boy Scout world, pack out all the trash, try to clean up whatever you can, try to make things better. I remember sometimes we would be somewhere, uh, maybe we'd be staying in, in something that we were borrowing from someone, and my mom always said, let's leave it better than we found it. Well, that's kind of a philosophy I think we can adapt. Can I leave the world better than I found it? What can I do? on a broader scale, not just cleaning up somebody's property, not just cleaning up. We used to borrow uh, a friend's motor home and and travel. And and at the end, we were always trying to leave it better than we found it, cleaner than we found it. Can we do that with the world? Can we leave it better than we found it? The second thing is finding things that are satisfying to you. This whole contribution thing isn't going to work if you're kicking and screaming about doing things. Now, satisfying to you doesn't necessarily mean that it's fun or enjoyable of doing that, but that you find it satisfying. 
Maybe it's something that is challenging and tough for you. But somewhere deep within you, it still leaves you satisfied when it's done. The third thing is is it based in compassion and commonwealth. We're going to come back to compassion as another anchor piece in this code, but for now, let's just think of it as doing these things that are based in compassion, not in our anger, not in trying to uh, create a, a, a deeper division somewhere, not in trying to prove ourselves right, but is it based in compassion of reaching out to people who are you know, at a place where they need help? Is it also in commonwealth, meaning is it for the good of all? In fact, it's one of the places I suggest that people use as a measurement. Am I looking for the good of a few people, people who are just like me, or am I looking out to make this world better for the whole world? Not just humans even, but the whole world. Can I find a deeper place for that? So is it based in compassion and commonwealth? And finally, does it pull you to a higher place? Does it maybe even to a deeper place within you? Does it pull you to a place of deeper meaning and purpose? Does it stretch you a bit? So do you have to reach for this? If it's too easy, it's not going to hit what you need it to hit. Now, what I've noticed is that there's a difference between it being in your giftedness and your specialness and it being easy. Sometimes people tell me that, you know, the things that they love to do, it's like it's second nature to them. It's just their gift. That's great, but that doesn't make it easy. There's still effort there. There's still something that pulls them to a higher place of trying to do better, of being better. So does it bring you to a place in yourself of of being at a deeper, maybe higher place, but that deeper soul place within you? Is it something that stretches you? Look for where you can contribute, where you can ask the question, how can I give back rather than how can I get more? How can I put in versus how can I pull out? That's where contribution happens. That's part of the thriving code. This is Lee Balkum. This is the Thrivology Podcast. Now, go build your thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it.